Welcome to Reimagining Atlantis. My name's Tori, and I'll be your host. Thank you so much for continuing to listen. Your interest really makes this worth it. I'm happy to find at least one other person that I can share this information with. Everybody around is so sick of hearing it from me. So for this episode, I plan on going over the state of mind of the ancient Greeks. And I also want you to have a solid understanding of the political climate, as well as the mythology of the time. I'm going to reference Homer a lot because he's one of the oldest sources, even older than Plato. Throughout this, when I reference a specific author, I want to give an approximate time frame and a little bit of background about them. Giving a little bit of background to the author will lend a little bit of credibility to its source. For this episode, I'm going to be referring to the following authors. Homer was an ancient Greek author and epic poet. He is the reputed author of the Iliad and the Odyssey. The Iliad recounts the events leading up to and the battle at the Trojan War. The Odyssey is a recounting of the perilous travel home for Odysseus, the name of the main character. However, most scholars now agree that Homer was probably illiterate, but a very famous traveling performer. If you want to use a modern day reference for Homer, picture your favorite musician performing at a concert. I'm not saying your favorite musician is illiterate, I'm just saying that's kind of how Homer was seen in his day. Hesiod was an ancient Greek poet, and most scholars believe him to have been active around the time of Homer, and that's going to be around 750 to 650 BCE. According to Wikipedia, Hesiod is generally regarded as the first written poet in the Western tradition to regard himself as an individual persona with an active role to play in his subject. Classical era authors accredited Hesiod and Homer with establishing Greek religious customs. Modern scholars refer to Hesiod as a major source on Greek mythology, farming techniques, early archaic Greek astronomy, and ancient timekeeping. Plato, who I discussed in a previous episode, he is a classical Greek intellectual who is our primary source for Atlantis, living roughly about 425 BCE. Apollodorus of Athens, we know he died after 120 BCE. He is a Greek scholar and he was colleagues to Aristarchus of Samothraki, a scholar on Homer. And both Apollodorus and Aristarchus served as librarians in the Great Library of Alexandria. Virgil was an ancient Roman poet around 23 BCE and he wrote several popular poems. For my podcast, I'll reference his work in the Aeneid. The Aeneid is a story about the main hero, Anesis, after the sacking of Troy. The remaining survivors of Troy were taken captive by the Greeks, and the other branched off to become a patriarchal figurehead to the formation of Rome. Within the Aeneid, Virgil needs to explain the mythology to have the rest of his story make sense, a lot like I'm going to have to do. There are two main ancient Greek creation stories. One is told by Homer, and the other is told by Hesiod. Though they share similarities in their stories, there are equally as many differences. I do think that going over both creation stories are important. However, that's not going to be the focus of this episode. Instead, I'm going to try and find some common ground between the two. But I personally have a bias towards Homer because his creation story aligns more with Atlantis than Hesiod's. I'm going to throw a disclaimer out here. I want to preface this and any future episodes with 
Do not try to make sense of Greek mythology. Your head will probably fall off trying. You can't reason with the unreasonable. So when going into these stories, remember, blind acceptance is the only way to sanity. According to both authors, the Olympians planned and orchestrated a successful coup and overturned the Titans. In simplest terms, the Titans were the generation of gods before the Olympians. After the Titan-Olympian War, Zeus, Poseidon, and Hades drew lots and divided the world amongst them. Here's a passage from Plato. The gods distributed the whole earth in the portions, differing in extent, and made for themselves temples and instituted sacrifices. Poseidon, receiving for his lot the island of Atlantis, begat children by a mortal woman and settled them in a part of the island looking towards the sea. According to Virgil, both Poseidon and Athena wanted to become the patron god of Attica, and the gods being gods almost started a war. To prevent war and make it fair, they decided to let the humans decide who could be their patron god. No pressure, right? At Attica, there was this half-human, half-snake male leader named King Kekropa. Here's where thinking about Greek mythology really makes your head hurt. Have you ever seen a snake get gender tested? I have. So either Kekropa is a self-proclaimed male or someone else did some probing. As far as I'm concerned, Kekropa can identify however he wants. He is half snake. Speaking of half snake, how does one become half snake anyway? Beyond sleeping with Zeus, of course. So anyway, back to the story. King Kekropa, the people, the gods, all went to the Acropolis, meaning the highest point in the city, and the gods presented their gifts. Poseidon went first and lifted up his mighty triton and slammed it to the ground. Out came the river Eurachthyus. But to the dismay of the humans around, the water was salty. Ooh, Poseidon's so salty. Next came Athena. She buried something in the ground, and it turned into an olive tree. The people deemed her gift the best and nominated Athena to rule over the land, naming it after her. Here's a passage from Apollodorus. When the two strove for possession of the country, Zeus parted them and appointed twelve gods as arbitrators. And according with their verdict, the country was awarded to Athena, because Kekropa bore witness that she was the first to plant the olive. Athena, therefore, called the city Athens after herself, and Poseidon, in a hot anger, flooded the Thracian plain and laid Attica under the sea. The gods distributed the whole earth into portions, differing in extent, and made for themselves temples and instituted sacrifices. Poseidon, receiving for his portion, the island of Atlantis. Near the center of the island, there was a fertile plain, which looked towards the sea, and there was a mountain not very high on any side. In this mountain, there dwelt one of the earth-born primeval men of that country, whose name was Evnor. Evnor had a wife named Lucy, and they had an only daughter who was called Clato. Clato had already reached womanhood when her father and mother died. Poseidon fell in love with her and had intercourse with her. Plato bore Poseidon five sets of male twins, a passage from Plato. Let's dig a little deeper on this passage from Plato, shall we? Poseidon receiving for his lot the island of Atlantis. 
Today, we know the word island as a piece of land surrounded on all sides by water. Ancients thought about it a little differently. According to Professor Papadopoulos, who is fluent in ancient Greece and a geophysicist at the University of Patras, claims that the word aesos is used by Plato. Aesos reminds me of the word oasis, and I have no idea if they're related. Anyway, aesos is loosely translated as island. What he said it could mean, and I quote, one, an island as we know it. Two, a promontory. Three, a peninsula. Four, a coast. Five, a land within a continent surrounded by lakes, rivers, or springs. I had to look up promontory, and it's a high point of land that protrudes out of the water, like cliffs or sandbars, usually more rocky. There's still some debate as to whether the Greeks differentiated between an island and a peninsula. The word peninsula itself didn't originate until later. It's actually a Latin word meaning almost an island. The Greeks didn't understand Latin because it hadn't happened yet. The Greeks did have a word to describe peninsula and it was called chernosos, but not until much later in classical Greek literature. So let's loosen our definition of the word island in the context of ancient Greece. We can continue to use the word island understand that it isn't a strict form of the word. I'm open to suggestions as to what we want to use in place of island, and the best I've come up with is isolated area that could be surrounded by water or mountains or any combination thereof, as long as it's mostly isolated from other villages or towns or primarily accessible by boat. <sighs> or I could just use Aesos or even Oasis. I'm open to suggestions. For now, I'll just use Oasis. Poseidon, receiving for his lot the island of Atlantis. Atlantis itself has a translation. It means a land of Atlas. What do you suppose Plato meant by that? Poseidon's portion of the earth was the oasis of the land of Atlas. My guess is that after the Titan-Olympian War, Poseidon inherited Titan Atlas's land. Titan Atlas was punished by Zeus for his part in the war and was forced to hold the skies from Earth for all eternity. Anyway, back to Plato. Plato had already reached womanhood when her father and mother died. Poseidon fell in love with her and had intercourse with her. Plato bore Poseidon five sets of male twins. Then, I guess, Poseidon went and sowed his royal oats and named his firstborn after the Titan, whose land it is that they acquired? I mean, think about it right now. How many states, cities, lakes, rivers, and people do we have with the name Washington, for example? Alternatively, Titan Atlas and Baby Atlas are one and the same. You get to choose what you want to believe. Back to Plato. To Atlas, Poseidon made the first king of the island, and he gave him the largest and the best portion, which was his mother's house and the surrounding area. The island and the ocean were called Atlantic after him. 
the island and the ocean were called Atlantic after him. Hold up. Does that say that the island was called Atlantic and not Atlantis? Are you saying that there's an Atlantic oasis, an Atlantic ocean? The island and the ocean were called Atlantic after him. Atlantic has a translation. It means Sea of Atlas, the Atlantic Oasis, and the Atlantic Ocean, the Sea of Atlas Oasis, and the Sea of Atlas Ocean. I'm actually stressing these differences for a later episode, so I wanted to fester in your thoughts for a bit. My guess is this. Atlantis is the Titan Atlas's former land that Poseidon inherited. Atlantic is the Sea of Atlas, named after Baby Atlas. Kinda reminds me about the stories about Lake Triton. Thank you so much for continuing to listen. Your support means everything to me. If you want to help make this podcast grow, please subscribe and tell just one other person about this podcast today. We are each our own hero in this story we call life. That means one person has the power to change everything. Who is the one person you tell today, hero? Let's help keep Atlantis alive, or at least reimagined. A new episode will be released every Thursday at 9pm. See you then.